Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of my podcast, Calvero Speaks. I got some nice messages about the last episode and I really, really appreciate it. When someone tells me that this makes them feel less alone with their own shit, uh, that's why I wanted to do this. When I was really struggling and feeling hopeless and just massively confused and totally without a paddle, and we'll be talking about that time a little later in this episode, there were always a couple podcasts that helped me feel grounded, protected even, understood, uh, not completely isolated and alone. So if this podcast has helped, helped you feel seen, helped you understand some things about yourself, given yourself some hope, then that makes me very happy because that's what the show is here for. This is a very small show, and I guess I haven't really been doing much to grow it. Uh, people are still listening, though, despite this having no consistent schedule or cohesive structure, so that's great. If you'd like to help the show grow, two things you can do. Rate and review it on Apple Podcast. I think that helps visibility. Honestly, I've only heard other podcasters say this. I have no idea if it actually helps, but uh, so do that. More importantly, tell a friend. If there's one friend you think would get something out of this podcast, send it their way. Or even better, make a post on social media. For everything that I do, it's all about slow but steady word of mouth with the very occasional algorithmic jackpot, but it's best not to rely on those. In case you didn't know, I released a new song called Didn't I Try Honey. Very special to me. I'm very happy with how it turned out. Got to work with some amazing instrumentalists. I think it's one of my coolest productions. I think it's probably my favorite lyrics I've written. And I also mixed it. If you've listened to the pod, then you know my Don Quixote-style journey towards learning how to mix. Um, and I think that that has really culminated in a confidence to trust my gut and make things sound how I want them. And hopefully that translates. If you haven't heard the song yet, hey, I could use your fucking streams. I'll leave a link for the song in the show notes. It's been a slow one, this release. Numbers-wise, it's been significantly slower than my last uh, couple songs. That's the funny thing about numbers, when you focus on the numbers. I remember back in July of last year when I released my song, my last song, Satellite, I was feeling like that was flopping because my song before that, I Hate When I Think About You, straight up went viral on TikTok. But now I'm looking back at those numbers from Satellite, which probably isn't a good idea. Uh, and I'm thinking, shit, how the hell did I do that? And funny enough, me four years ago, just starting to release music as Calvero, would definitely see this song and this release as a success. And for the most part, I think that I've been handling it pretty well. At this point, I've talked about this so much on the podcast, this idea of learning how to ride the wave, accepting that there's always going to be ups and downs, that this whole thing isn't just a straight shoot up to the stratosphere. I mean, there's hardly anything left to say. When you feel like things aren't going well or the way you hoped, it's easy to let the fear set in and feel like it's permanent that it's the end, that it's all just sliding down, but that's just a choice that you can make for your perspective. I made a video on TikTok about this and about this process, and someone commented, 
it's not all meant to be home runs, but all of it is practice. And I think that perfectly sums it all up. The song that I made out of love and determination that's going to inform the next songs that I make, no matter what the streams are. The way I promote myself will determine how I promote myself in the future, even if it's just realizing that there's some stuff that I need to do differently. So we think that numbers and growth and other markers of success under capitalism are what we need to look for to feel like we're surviving and thriving. But I've found it's being able to endure this process of ups and downs and to keep showing up for it and not letting it consume you and allowing yourself to grow either way. That's the path towards longevity and sustainability, in my opinion. I heard Jane Wheedland from The Go-Go's uh, in that great documentary about the band say something like, everything valuable that she's learned has been from failure. And I've found that to be true as well. When I find success, I just want to ride that wave and I want to recreate it. And I get upset and worried when it doesn't last and I'm not able to sustain it. And I lose that calm sense of purpose. And it's much easier for me to maintain that calmness, to take the time to reflect and learn and grow when things are slow and expectations are low. So anyways, with that out of the way, we're going to continue the narrative that we left off with in the previous episode. If you're a new listener, you're welcome to try giving this episode a shot. I'm going to try to make it accessible to all. Or you can start from the beginning and we'll still be here when you get back. If you're still sticking around, again, please go listen to my new song, Didn't I Try Honey. You can find it wherever you get music, and I'll leave a handy link in the description. I also posted a 30-minute YouTube video showing how I made the song. I'm really trying to step up my video stuff, and I'm pretty happy with how it turned out. I think it's a big step up from the -the behind-the-scenes videos I've made in the past. I'll leave a link in the show notes for that if you want to check it out, and give me a follow over there on YouTube. There's more of that to come. If you like what I do, if you like the music, this podcast, my videos, all things Calvero, then the absolute best way to support what I'm doing is by joining me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Calvero Sings. As you may know, I am currently working on an album and your membership will go towards budgets for artwork and video stuff and photos and mastering, etc., I don't have a label, I don't have a manager, I'm just fucking in it. (laughs) And I'm just showing up every day, making things, putting myself out there, hoping to find people who make a real connection with my work and who want to support me. That's the mission, that's what I show up for. And it doesn't have to be financial support, by the way, if you're not able to, I absolutely understand and I'm grateful for the listens and the word of mouth and the appreciation, that's enough for me. But if you're able to kick in two bucks or five bucks a month for a membership, please do. I post pretty much every week. Recently, I've shared some journal entries that were the root of the lyrics for Didn't I Try Honey. I've also shared a bonus clip from the making of Didn't I Try Honey uh, from that video, plus playlists, vlogs, demos, behind the scenes stuff. I'm also thinking of doing some live streams on there while I work on the album. So again, if you're able to patreon.com slash calvero sings link in the description in the show notes also don't forget that i have a t-shirt the very first and only piece of official calvero merchandise link in the show notes if you'd like your very own calvero t-shirt 
Please make sure you're following me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Spotify. If you're on any of those platforms, that's where I am the most active. Links in the show notes. Also, if you're not already doing so, sign up for my newsletter. Occasional thoughts and updates and check-ins. Link in the show notes. And finally, make sure that you're following this podcast, that you're subscribed to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to, uh, to make sure that you never miss an episode. Now, uh, let's get on with it. Let's get on with uh, this episode. When we last left off in the narrative, I was pushing 30, living at home, physically becoming much healthier than I was in Chicago, but still very much being consumed by the anxiety and the depression that was all fueled by unregulated obsessive thoughts, which were likely due to my insistence on being isolated, of not reaching out to people or trying to see people because I wanted to be successful first. And through the obsessive thoughts and everything going on, I was still grinding it out writing songs to pitch out in LA, trying to move my career forward as a songwriter, trying to write and record more songs as Calvero, get a bunch of songs together that I could show industry people, try to get things going. I remember very soon after I got settled home in the East Coast, I kind of emailed every single friend that I had that was in the music industry and told them my situation. You know that I had these songs recorded by this artist, Kiara, who was massively popular. I had songs slated to get released by Tara Jr., who were also very popular and very buzzy. And I also wanted to get my own artist project off the ground. And I didn't know what to do. I I didn't have a fucking clue. And David uh, from the Cataracts, Tara Jr., my friends, since we were both 18, he was really looking out for me. He has always really believed in me as a writer and he was really trying to figure out how to get me out to LA. He would have meetings with big publishers and play them demos that I'd sent him and he was telling his managers about me. And at that point I had put together a little playlist on SoundCloud, a private playlist that was, you know, the unreleased demos of the Kiara and Tara Jr. songs, some other songwriting demos, and then Vanishing Streets and When I Was Your Love. The first two songs that I'd finished as Calvero, and I finally got to talk to one of David's managers, who was very nice and seemed to be impressed with my songwriting, and I was also clear that I was looking for a team for my artist project that I was working on, and I think he had listened to those songs, my songs, and was a little confused by it and confused about what they could do with it. But it was still an encouraging conversation for sure. It felt like there was a path, you know? I had this stuff going on as a songwriter, and I felt like I wanted to position myself to maximize my opportunities and carve a little space in the industry. That's what it was all about. Also, a friend had gotten me in touch with an entertainment lawyer, and he turned out to be incredibly helpful and supportive and offered to try and get me a publishing deal. And it was starting to seem like that was the way to get out of here, to get my career going, to use these songs that were slated to release as leverage for a publishing company to give me money up front so that I could move to LA, live in LA, work in LA. They could set me up with writing sessions, connect me with other writers, producers, artists. So that was the plan. Get out there, be a full-on working songwriter and do my little artist thing on the side. 
I was still very determined about what would be Calvero. I was still really trying to make it the best music it could be. But I'll admit that talking to that manager did make my own music feel less valuable because it was less valuable to people in the industry uh, than being able to write for people who were already popular and were making music that was much more likely to be popular. And it's funny with with all the songs that I've released as Calvero, I was never designing them cynically to be popular. But at the same time, this was the first time in my musical journey that I was trying to make something that was not only personal and based around my musical excitements, but was also trying to be accessible and welcoming to people both musically and emotionally. I was really trying to be genuine with my emotions and the lyrics and also not have things be so closed off and narrow. And I was using the tools that I had been learning over the years on how to write pop music, how to write and produce songs with a listener's experience in mind, trying to design it so it's exciting and memorable and does the things that a good pop song does. And I, I think it threw me off that I was doing all this and I guess that just wasn't it. That wasn't selling the gatekeepers. And I was starting to tap back into the fear that I was just always doomed to toil in obscurity and be in the background as an artist, simply because there was something inherently wrong with me. As a singer, as an artist, something wrong with me that could never connect with people on a wide scale. And mind you, these are the thoughts that I'm having based on one guy <laughs> listening to two songs. But you know, this is what I've been talking about since the first episode. If you have a fear that there's something inherently wrong with you that makes you unlovable, unlikable, destined for failure, then you're always going to be looking for evidence to prove that that fear is correct. And the slightest setback, the slightest rejection, someone you know getting a little bit of success, that's all just evidence that you are doomed, right? That your greatest fears about yourself have proven to be correct. And the smallest things just derail you and make you spiral with self-doubt. And it makes it hard to want to push yourself out there when the littlest things, things that shouldn't even matter, hurt so much. But you got to make the choice. Are you in it? Are you doing the thing or not? And if you're doing the thing, then these fears aren't here to help. They're there to pull you in the other direction. And it just takes practice to learn how to silence it to ignore it and to continue on the path. So yes, things were starting to happen. It, it felt like there was a light at the end of the tunnel and I was still clueless. I had no idea how publishing worked. I had no idea what the songs that I'd co-written were worth. I had no idea how you made money from this, from this thing, how the royalties were calculated, how you collected the money, fucking clueless really no idea but but it was clear to me that this path of being an industry songwriter was the responsible thing to do i guess in the eyes of my parents you know our parents bless their hearts they want to know we're going to be okay that that we're going to be safe and protected and we're not going to be struggling and we inherit their worries especially if we're inclined to worrying ourselves and we want to make them feel like it's all going to be okay and make ourselves feel like it's all going to be okay and i think that's why a lot of people abandon the precarious career of the arts because it's so unstable 
it's so undervalued by our culture unless it's at the highest, most successful levels, which is an incredibly difficult place to get to. And, you know, by your mid-twenties, a lot of people are kind of done and and still doing it for their enjoyment, which is a beautiful thing, but they've found other shit to do to find stability, to have a good life, to be able to provide for loved ones. And then by your late twenties, most people who you know who stayed in at that point are few and far between, and they've mostly become incredibly successful, which is why they're able to stay in it. And then they're not even really your peers anymore, and you're just kind of on this island, I guess. And it's kind of lonely, and it makes you question everything, question why you're still doing what you're doing. I remember really thinking about turning 30. I, I was a year away from 30 and, and thinking about what that meant and realizing I was so close to the age when my mom was when she had me and coming to terms with balding, uh, coming to terms with having nose hairs and, and realizing that I was getting much older than when people were when they were when they made my favorite records and also still feeling like a kid. Still feeling like an 18 year old, you know, this idea of being an artist, of wanting to, of wanting people to love you and sing your songs and have that be the thing you do. It's almost like a childish thing to want. It's something that defines so many young people coming out of high school, entering college. They're so cocky and so full of hope and so determined and they just chase after a dream. And most people either achieve that dream in one way or another, or or they get a little older and they mellow out and they find other shit to do. And I guess not doing either of those things, I did feel like I never grew up and almost felt and still feel to some degree infantilized. Especially, I saw someone on Twitter say that if adulthood is defined by owning property and reproducing, then yeah, a lot of millennials are infantilized in comparison to Gen X and the boomers. So there was that. That was all really getting to my self-esteem and it felt like this publishing thing, being an industry songwriter, it was the responsible thing to do. It was my way of getting a real job that was both not a pipe dream and also not giving up the dream completely and also potentially helping me build connections in order to do my little thing on the side. So I was all in. And so it was just about doing the work, trying to get to L.A., getting more Calvero songs recorded and on a private playlist for the industry folks. And as it really feels like things are starting to move forward in a lot of ways, you know, by the first half of 2017, I was really having bad situations with my mental health, uh, particularly my OCD obsessive thoughts, which triggered the depression and anxiety. And it would basically look like I'd have a few weeks of having a relatively clear head, being productive, and then I would just latch onto a thought or a fear. It, it could be the most random shit. It was often remembering a small misstep that I made years ago and thinking it was all going to blow up in my face and ruin my life. A lot of my obsessive thoughts were rooted in this fear that I did something that was so outside of the realm of normalcy and so careless that it's inevitably going to result in my life being ruined and I have no one to blame but myself. And I wouldn't be able to resist replaying those moments and imagining the subsequent repercussions and just overblowing it and overblowing it. This is what people call catastrophizing. 
And, and I just think about it and think about it, trying to protect myself, thinking and thinking so maybe I can find a crack in the logic, something to let myself know that it's not real. But in that process, I just make it worse and worse and, and keep it to myself for the most part and just wouldn't be able to focus on anything. I'd wake up seven days later and be like, holy shit, I'm still thinking about this thing and I can't stop. I'd go to the movies and I wouldn't be able to focus on the movies and I just couldn't stop. I, I And I started to get these migraines that had oral visions, aura visions, uh, which is something that I had never experienced before. But the obsession and the anxiety would get so bad that I just get these large green blotches in my eyesight. It was bad shit. And, and that would often lead to me being uh, just pretty much incapacitated for weeks, some, sometimes up to a month. And around this time, people, my mom, my friends were, were trying to hint that therapy might be beneficial, but I just wasn't having it. I was still convinced that success was going to be my cure. Moving out to LA, being an active part of the music industry, that was going to make all this shit go away. And one thing I've learned since actually going to therapy near, nearly two years after all this is that I can tend to fixate on fantastical situations that are so far-fetched and so unlikely to happen or be real. To avoid actual problems or things that I need to sort out, like being isolated, being lonely, being uncertain about my career, uncertain about how to make money, it's like I take those concerns and give it a completely different face uh, to avoid reality and just get caught in these cobwebs of fear and anxiety. And the more you indulge those thoughts, the more real it feels and the harder it is to snap out of it and to get back to reality. I wrote Believe during this particular cycle, if you're familiar with my song Believe. I have the first proper demo of this song dated April 7th, 2017, and this was right in the thick of these spirals. In fact, I'm going to make that demo be the demo of the month over on my Patreon. I have some other demos on Patreon that you can have access to in the archive where I had that little falsetto part of me singing, Believe! And it, I, I, I knew, knew that I really wanted to use it, but I hadn't quite cracked it yet. But I was going through these cycles and I, I kind of felt so hopeless and it felt so hard to get out of this deep sadness and these thought spirals. And I was so depressed about fucking Trump becoming president. I know I'm not alone there, but I just didn't think he'd win. Back then, even though I was a Bernie bro, I was much more of, a, I guess, a liberal than I am now. now. Now I'm kind of more of a fucking commie, but I just could not imagine a world where Hillary Clinton did not become president. It, it was inconceivable because the violence that Trump represented seemed so clear. And I remember that election night, I stayed up until 5 a.m. and it, it just felt like I'd entered a new reality. It was incredibly hard for me to process. This is something that happens when you ruminate about something a lot, is that like suddenly you just feel like you're you're uh, in an alternate 
reality. It, it just feels like completely different. It almost feels like it's an out-of-body experience where you're floating and experiencing something completely different than the reality that you've already known. And you'll remember, I mean, the entire presidency was a fucking shit show. It wasn't that long ago, but those first couple months where it was a reality, it was our reality and, and crazy, horrifying shit was happening every day. It was just a lot to process. And that's really, for me, what the song Believe is. I wrote it in a moment where it felt impossible to get out of those thought spirals. I felt so hopeless about the world and where the country was headed. And yet I just experienced a moment of hopefulness. That there was a way out. That I, that I wouldn't always feel the way that I had been feeling. And realizing that even in those worst moments where the depression and the anxiety feels so permanent, you got to remember that that part of yourself, when you're happy, when you're present, when you're excited, when you're hopeful, that's still in you. That's still a part of you. That had that part hasn't died. It's there. And you're going to be able to bring it back, even if it seems impossible to do. And Believe is one of those songs that just came out of me, probably in an hour, because it just needed to come out. And it's probably my lightest song, and especially with the music video, it's almost seen as a joke, because it is so uplifting, almost to a comical degree, but that's what I needed to do. I needed to take that part of myself, which at that point in my life was buried so deep under the fucking darkness, I needed to excavate it and ramp it up to 10,000%. And that is really one of the selling points for creating art is that you can take the smallest part of yourself, a part that maybe people don't get to see that often, and you can just blow it up and make it as big as you want to remind yourself that that part of you is there. Like how people have said that Freddie Mercury was a very shy and quiet person, but he took that maybe 5% of himself that was big and made it larger than life and made that his stage presence. So all, all that was going on, and I haven't been super specific about things I was obsessing about because honestly, I can't remember most of that shit. When I did start going to therapy for this stuff towards the end of 2018, I started learning that it's all just content. It doesn't matter what the content is. The mechanism is the obsessive thoughts, which fuels the depression and anxiety, and it's that simple. But there was one major one that was happening around this time, and it lasted for a while. I had always had this fear of losing my hearing. I think most musicians have this fear because if music is your life and you lose your hearing, it's like you lose your life. And I remember when I was a teenager, I would just blast death metal in headphones and my mom would yell at me and say I was going to lose my hearing and I didn't give a fuck. I was just like, well, whatever, maybe my hearing will be shot when I'm 30, but I'm just going to live in the now. And I've always had a habit of listening to shit loud, like especially when I'd be listening back to music that I made, unreleased music, I would just listen to that shit over and over again really, really loud. And, and back to this narrative, when I'm there at my parents' house, I had recently got my ears cleaned out uh, from excessive wax, which I tend to get, and I was starting to notice that I would listen to something loud on my headphones. And when the music stopped, I would hear this very loud roaring and rumbling that would kind of raise to the level of the music that I was listening to and then subside. And I got super freaked out about this, and I didn't know what it was. 
and I was starting to hear it everywhere. Lying down, I'd listen for the rumble and there it was. If I'd be watching a movie or watching a TV show, I'd hear the rumble. And I was almost positive that I had tinnitus and I was starting to obsessively Google it. And most people know it as a perpetual ringing, but it can also be a whooshing or a roaring. I think Beethoven had a roar and I was like, this is it. And I was really scared. And suddenly the prospect of a life of making music with this roar, this rumbling going on in the background, it seemed so exhausting. And I remember sitting in the tub and thinking, I better get really successful as soon as possible so I can fucking retire and live in solitude (laughs) as soon as possible. And I was telling my mom about this because I was burdening her um, with a lot of my obsessive stuff before I started going to therapy. And she was convinced that I had fluid in my ears or something, that I had an ear infection. So I booked another appointment with my ear doctor and he checked me out and he said it didn't seem like there was anything wrong. He mentioned that it sounded like I probably had tinnitus or tinnitus, as some people know it, and maybe hyperacusis because I mentioned that the noise got louder after listening to music. Then we set up a bunch of tests to make sure there wasn't anything else wrong. A a vigorous hearing test from an audiologist, blood work, all that. The hearing test came back and I had good hearing. There was nothing abnormal. But I had really latched on to my doctor's offering of the diagnosis of hyperacusis. Which in retrospect was something he said, I guess, almost as an afterthought or an off-the-cuff guess. But I just really latched on to it. Because I'd never heard of it before and I started Googling it and I was absolutely fucking terrified. It's basically a condition where noise causes pain and you just have an unusual sensitivity to noise and sound and you have a much smaller threshold for loudness that you can tolerate. Stephen Merritt from The Magnetic Fields has it. And and I just couldn't believe it, but I started really believing it. And it was all happening while things were finally starting to happen with my career. While I was talking to prospective managers and publishers and was preparing myself to do writing sessions every day out in LA, I suddenly had this fresh malady where people would be listening to loud music and I'd be writhing in pain, afraid that my condition would get worse. And this was perfect for my obsessive patterns that I've laid out earlier because it's a tragedy that ruins my life forever. And it's my fault because I didn't take better care of my hearing. And I was constantly obsessing about this, listening to the rumbles, gauging my reaction to different volume levels. But I was not leaving the house and I was spiraling. Eventually, I was able to start listening to music again. I would just do it at incredibly low levels. I can't remember if I was working on music at that point or or just being a fucking wreck and just like completely consumed by this. And I think in May of that year, 2017, April or May, I went back to Chicago for a couple of days for my friend Sarah and Logan's wedding. And it was a great trip. I got to get out of my own little bubble, see some friends, see Max, be back in Chicago. But like I I brought a white noise machine to protect myself from the rumbles. And I brought these little hearing protector earbuds. So anyway, they they were like attached by like a a black piece of string that I could wear as a necklace. 
Uh, so anywhere that music was playing, if I was at a bar with people and the music got too loud, I'd put them in. I remember I was at a bachelor thing with Logan and his friends on a boat and music started playing kind of loud. And I put those earbuds in and explained to the people like I got issues (laughs) and I just had so many conversations with so many different friends who have tinnitus, like our hours of conversations, just talking about how they cope with it and how they live with it and uh, giving me advice. But when I got back from Chicago and it got warmer outside and the windows started to be opened at my parents' house, I realized something. I realized that the rumbling was gone and I could play music loud and I wouldn't hear any of that rumbling. And I asked myself, how could this possibly be? And when I had my next checkup with my ENT doctor, I told him about it and we both kind of figured out what happened. Initially, when I got my ears cleaned out towards the beginning of the year, I was starting to hear the rumble of the heating system of my parents' house, which I wasn't able to hear before because my ears were all clogged up. Now, normally sounds like that just go into the background and you get used to it and you don't even think about it, but I was hyper-focusing on it so much and so obsessed with that sound and affected by that sound that my attention was just heightening it and heightening it and bringing it to the forefront. And this to me was such a profound example, really a wake-up call of how real it can get when you're obsessed, when you're afraid. It felt so fucking real. And I was nervous and anxious about the prospects in LA and about the new life as an industry songwriter of getting back out into the world after my traumatic experience in Chicago without time to process it in a healthy way. And instead of looking at all of this, I was focusing on my imaginary hearing maladies, which was a diversion, like I said, from actually thinking about any of that stuff. It was like getting all of the anxiety from the real things and then transferring it to focus on something imaginary. Now, if there's one positive from that, uh, I guess, I have been much more responsible with, with volume levels since this incident, so maybe that's a good thing. Maybe I'll always maintain good hearing uh, because I scared myself straight for a couple months. I don't know. It's funny looking back on it, but but that was some really painful shit in the moment. It was really... It, imagine just like not being able to not think about that for four months or five months. That was my life back then. But I think that'll do it for this episode. And uh, we're just going to keep this narrative rolling. Uh, we've got a lot more to talk about. I'm, I'm very excited to talk about when I finally start going to therapy and start turning a lot of this stuff around, but we've got some time before that happens. Um, I'm feeling good about the idea of sticking to a monthly schedule. Again, please share the podcast with your friends, subscribe to it on whatever podcast platform you listen to, and consider joining me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Calvero Sings. Um, all access patrons will be able to hear that uh, that the, the Believe demo that I wrote and made in the thick of it, in the thick of everything that I've been talking about today. So if that interests you, um, link for that in the description and I'll talk to you next time.